Well, all right, guys, good seeing you all this morning as we uh, get ready uh, uh, to study God's Word. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6. And we are in the middle of a series, uh, starting a new series entitled Wise Men, Wise Words. And uh, I, I want to look at uh, the words of Isaiah that we find in Isaiah chapter 6. And uh, here are his wise words. I'm just going to give them to you right up front. You're not going to have to wait till the end. Uh, to hear ultimately the wise words, Isaiah simply says, Here I am, Lord, send me. Here I am, send me. You know, some of the wisest words you and I would ever say is ultimately uh, to God, God, use me. God, I'm available. Uh, God, whatever you want me to do, however you want me to act, however you want me to respond, God, here I am, send me. And as men, let me tell you what, uh, it is desperately needed. Uh, in our families, uh, we need to be saying, Lord, here I am, send me. Uh, in our churches, uh, guys, the wisest thing we can ever say is, here I am, send me. Uh, at the office, uh, at your office, the best words you could ever say is, Lord, here I am, send me. In your neighborhood, in your community, wherever you are uh, in your country, Lord, here I am, send me. You know, as we look back over yesterday, uh, yesterday was Memorial Day, right? Uh, that, uh, that that reflects, that idea of Memorial, Memorial Day reflects on men who paid the ultimate price, uh, saying, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. And so much of uh, the freedoms and the joy and the celebration that we have uh, in our country uh, was bought and paid for by men who said, here I am, send me ultimately paid the ultimate price with the sacrifice. You know, the truth is the, uh, the freedoms that we have in our country, uh, as you look back and think back what yesterday was all about, uh, let me tell you what, a politician didn't give us those freedoms. How many of you understand that? A president didn't give us those freedoms. Some attorney, some lawyer, uh, some uh, professor and some academic university didn't give us the freedoms that we have. Uh, some activist, community activist, didn't give us the freedom. It was a soldier, a man on a battlefield that was willing to pay the ultimate price who said, here I am, send me. And so as I thought about that, I wanted to come to Isaiah chapter 6 today. Uh, and let me just pick it up in verse 8, and then I'm going to go back and lay some context. So let me just read Isaiah chapter 6, uh, verse 8. It says, then, this is Isaiah talking, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? That's what God said. And who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. Guys, when's the last time you've said that to God? When's the last time you've said, here I am, send me? Now, I want you to know that um, I believe every one of us have heard God ask, who am I going to send? I believe that uh, you just heard the Justins make some announcements. And through that, the Lord was saying, who are the men that are willing to say, here I am, send me? See, the question is not, is God asking us, who will go for us? Who will go for me? The question is, how do we respond do we say, Lord, here I am, send someone else? I'll submit that's the way most men respond to God's voice. Is yes, some other man needs to stand up and say yes. 
There are times, I think, that sometimes men look around the crowd and say, yeah, those guys are younger than me. He ought to send them. Or, yeah, somebody else should do that. Or, I think, as real men, how many of you have ever thought this? That's something good the church needs to do, and my wife needs to sign up for that. How many of you know? I think a lot of times men go, yep, that's awesome, and my wife needs to do that. Or, I need to sign my students up for that because they need D-Now or Vacation Bible School. I need to get my grandkids to Vacation Bible School. Here I am. Let me send my grandkids. You might even say, hey, I'm willing to go pick them up and drop them off. I hope someone else helps them, volunteers to serve. So, guys, I want you to know some of the wisest things that words that you and I would ever say would be, Lord, here I am, send me. Now, I love the idea, even in the Old Testament, uh, there's a Trinitarian idea right in here. He says, who will go for us? That's what God says, the word us, right? Plural. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see it in the Old Testament. Now, ultimately, it's fleshed out in the New Testament as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But right here, it says, who will go for us? It's a Trinitarian idea found in the Old Testament. You can find it in the creation story as well. Let us make man, let us make man in our image. So the Trinitarian idea is in both Old Testament and New Testament. But ultimately, in this moment, in this season, God is asking the question, who are the men that are willing to stand up and say, Lord, here I am, send me. Guys, some of the wisest words you and I will ever say will be those. Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Now, let's go back and set a little context before we even uh, get down to verse 8. Let's go back to verse 1. Kind of let me give you a little history and setting of what's going on. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. All right? Let me just stop you right there. So here's what you had. You had this great king. Actually, if you look at Uzziah's story, uh, he was a great king. He had started serving in Judah, uh, southern kingdom, back when he was 16 years old. Uh, you know, if you go through the Old Testament, you go through First and Second Kings, you go through First and Second Chronicles, you'll see some kings were good kings. Some kings were bad kings. Some kings, it would say, and they did right in the sight of the Lord. And then other kings, it would say, and they did worse than their fathers before them. How many of you remember those two contrasts? This Uzziah, Uzziah, was one of those kings that from the time he was 60, 16 years old, he served for 52 years, and he predominantly did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And the year that he died after 52 years as king is when Isaiah started serving as a prophet under Uzziah's son, Jotham. And so in this transitional moment, what we see is King Uzziah died. Now let me tell you a little bit about King Uzziah. Uh, first of all, uh, he was considered one of the good king. He started serving when he was 16 years old, served for 52 years. Uh, not only was a good king, he was a smart king. It says he built the cities and made them fortified. Uh, it says that he got skilled craftsmen who would create uh, mechanical mechanisms 
that they would set on the walls of the cities all around Jerusalem and Judah and the area around there. And what these mechanisms would do is they would lob arrows and stones at the enemy a long way away. In other words, he said, man, you know what we got to do? If we're going to fortify our cities and the enemies are going to show up, hey, let's don't wait for them to climb the walls before we get them. Let's go out there and get them. So if you go read about Uzziah, he called together his, his craftsmen and said, listen, what kind of bows can we make that we can shoot arrows further and more accurate? What kind of mechanisms can we make that we can throw stones further before they ever get here? And so it's kind of an interesting thing that he was an intelligent dude. Uh, he, it says that he, did so, he created some ways uh, to make the ground more fertile that he would learn to plow better. And, and man, he was an intelligent king. Uh, he was also a successful dude. So he was good, he was intelligent, uh, he was successful. Uh, he defeated the Philistines. You wanna know which king it was that defeated the Philistines? It was King Uzziah. Uh, he also defeated the Arabs. You can go look and you can read that uh, he was successful. He was famous. It says his fame was known all over the Middle, Middle East, all the way to the borders of Egypt. So Uzziah was an incredible king, started at 16, served for 52 years, and died. In that process, he was a good king overall. He was successful. He was intelligent. He was uh, uh, ingenious in what he did, and he was famous. Now, I will tell you, if you go to the end of his life, he had one massive failure in his life. And it's a good challenge, good lesson for all of us, guys. Is that King Uzziah had served God faithfully all of his life, and then all of a sudden, as he got to the end of his life, pride began to set in. He began to think back and say, I've done a pretty good job. He said, I, uh, I'm pretty famous. I'm the guy that put down the Philistine challenge. I'm the guy that lit up the Arabs. I'm the guy you walk through and uh, no one can attack our cities because uh, years ago I decided, hey, let's build some great defense mechanisms. Let's create uh, a harvesting system that will allow the crops to grow multiplied 100-fold, 200-fold, 300-fold. And he began to pat himself on the back. And if you look in the latter part of his days, pride set in. And he goes into the temple, and, ha and, and, and instead of letting the priest burn incense before the Lord, he says, I'm the king, I'm going to do it myself. It's kind of interesting. Uh, in Uzziah's life, he had a prophet that he consulted all the time, a prophet named Zechariah. And as long as Uzziah was listening to the prophet Zechariah, Uzziah was doing the right thing. Because let me tell you what, there were times that Uzziah was faced with an enemy that was overwhelming, that if you just looked at the numbers, they were going to lose. And Uzziah would call Zechariah in, and Zechariah would say, hey, let's pray. And they would pray. And Zechariah would say, hey, uh, the Lord said, here's how you're going to defeat the enemy. And sure enough, Uzziah would do exactly what the man of God said, and he would have victory in his life. You say, what changed? Zechariah died. 
Zechariah died, and he didn't find another man of God to put in his life. And so pride began to set in, and he began to say, I don't need anybody else. And he goes in and he burns incense before the Lord. Let me just show you that story. We're going to put it up on the screen for you. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, verse 16 and following, let me just show you the story. This was the downfall of Uzziah. Most of what you see and read about Uzziah is, and Uzziah did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and Uzziah did what was wise in the sight of the Lord, and Uzziah was successful because of God. But here we are. Zechariah, his prophet, his man of God had died. He began to, began to go it alone. It says, but after Uzziah became powerful, his pride, everybody say pride. pride. Guys, pride will kill us all. When we begin to think, I don't need anybody, I don't need to fall down before the Lord, I don't need any, his pride led to his downfall. He was unfaithful to the Lord as God. He entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Azariah the priest with 80 other courageous priests of the Lord followed him and they confronted King Uzziah and said, it is not right, Uzziah, for you to burn incense to the Lord. That is for the priest and only the priest. The descendants of Aaron are the ones who are supposed to burn incense, who have been consecrated to the Lord to burn incense. He says, leave the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful to God, and you will not be honored by the Lord your God. So here's what happened. You had Uzziah, who had been faithful to God, who had been powerful, uh, had been uh, successful all of his life. Zechariah dies, and Uzziah says, you know what? I don't see any priest around. I think I'm going to go do the priest's job. So he goes in there, he begins to burn incense before the Lord, and all of a sudden the priests hear about it. And it says 80 others went and courageously go to the king. Now let me just tell you this. In those days, and you can look at many of the other kings, sorry about that, you can go look at many of the other kings, um, if you were a priest and you challenged the king, guess what? There was a good chance your head was going to be lopped off. How many of you understand? That was the bad king. So they go in there and they begin to say, Listen, dude, this is not your place. Your place is on the throne. The priest's place is in here burning incense. And they were hacked off. They said, You go do your job. We'll do our job. Now notice his response. Uzziah who had a censer in his hand, ready to burn incense, became angry. And while he was raging against the priest, note to self, don't rage against the pastor. All right? It will not go well for your soul. That's the whole point. Two wise words. Here I am, Lord, send me. And don't scream at the pastor. All right? Write those down. Write those down. Scream at these guys, but not me. All right? But it says he became angry as he was raging against the priest in the presence before the incense of the altar of the Lord in the temple. Leprosy immediately broke out on his forehead. Can you imagine you're sitting there and he is raging and all of a sudden the priest begin to go, mm, you might want to go look in the mirror. It says right there in his forehead, leprosy began to break out. Now notice what happens at the end of the story. Yeah, a lot like Indiana Jones. There you go. Leprosy broke out on when Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him. They saw that the leprosy had broken out on his forehead. Uh, so they hurried him out, said, get out of the temple. 
Now you're defiling it again with leprosy, not allowed to be in here. Indeed, he himself was eager to leave as well because the Lord had afflicted him. He immediately knew. Now listen to the end of his days. King Uzziah had leprosy until the day he died. Man, incredible life. Then all of a sudden, pride shows up. And listen to what happened. Instead of him being celebrated the rest of his life as a great king, he then is isolated and lives by himself until the day he died. So warning number one, guys, is this. Doesn't matter how successful you've been in your life. Don't ever let pride take over. Don't ever let pride take over and destroy your legacy. And it can happen to all of us. It can happen to any one of us. I mean, you look at Uzziah. He listened to the prophet, he listened to the prophet, he listened to the prophet, and then the prophet dies, and he thinks he's better than the priest. He's been successful. He's been intelligent. He's done everything. But then he doesn't think he needs anybody else, and it ultimately cost him. And he died not a king that was celebrated. But read those last couple of verses there. Isolated because of his leprosy the rest of his life. Guys, be careful. Sin is always lurking at the door. How many of you understand that? It doesn't matter if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s, or 90s, or beyond. Sin is always lurking at the door. Now, let's go back to the story, all right? Back to Isaiah. It says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year of King Uzziah, that King Uzziah died, that's when Isaiah died, I saw the Lord, this is Isaiah, and he was high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, and each with six, uh, six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth was filled with His glory. So Isaiah's having this vision. Man, he's a vision of amazing God with the seraphim surrounding him, covering their mouth and their feet and uh, wings. And, and they are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Guys, we've always got to understand that God is holy and we are not. That God is completely pure and we are not. And I love what we're going to see about Isaiah's response way before he ever gets to the place where he says, here I am, Lord, send me. He acknowledges who God is. You know, I think there are a lot of times that we want God to use us, but we're not willing to acknowledge who God is. And that's exactly what we see. Man, he sees this vision, and he sees this vision of God, holy, holy, holy. Man, imagine the purest, most sinless thing you and I could even concoct in our minds. And God is a billion times more pure and holy than that. And we can't even scratch the surface. But I love the beauty of what we see here. Notice what it says. And it says, And the sound, verse 4, And uh, at the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Now listen to this. Before Isaiah could say, Here I am, Lord, send me. Notice what we see Isaiah happen. He acknowledges unworthiness. Look at verse 5. He says, Woe to me, I cried. 
for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. Guys, before we can ever be used by God in a way that God wants us to be used by Him, we have to acknowledge our own sinfulness. We have to come to a place in our lives where we realize that we are unworthy to be used by God. Guys, we can never walk around uh, uh, in such a space and kind of think, you know, God's pretty lucky to have me. <laughs> Do we all understand that? That, that can never enter our mind. That, that God, God really lucked out to get me. Man, he, he, got a, he has a catch with me. Now, that might work with your wife, right? That she's got to catch anybody ever look at your wife and say, you know, you did pretty good. You ever looked at her and said that? And uh, I, I do that. I, I, I remind Gina that all the time. And that's when she practices her eye roll. Uh, you know, there is a reality. None of us can look at God and say, hey, God, you're pretty lucky to have me. No, I love this idea that when Isaiah gets a vision of God, his immediate response is, I am unworthy to be used by God, to even see God, to be approach God. I can't believe that God would even want to use me. And so before we can ever get to here I am, send me, there has to be a humility about who I am compared to who God is. But then also a beauty and an excitement about God, the God who spoke the world into, a, into, the universe, into existence, the university of new existence, looks down and wants to use you. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. Do you understand that? The God who created the universe says, I'm looking for someone to send and I want to send you. And I want to send you and I want to send you. And I want to send you, not because he needs you. He wants to send you and he wants to send you two guys and he wants to send you and everybody on Zoom. He wants to send you. And your immediate response can't be, well, he's lucky to have me. Your response has to be to truly be used by God. And my response, I want you to know, as your pastor for 26 years, so many times I walk out of that door on Sunday morning just saying, God, use me in spite of myself. Use me in spite of who I am. God, you be God. God, move among your people today, not because I'm so awesome, but because you're so gracious. And I love this idea. He says, and, and look at his response in verse 5. Woe to me. I cried, for I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips. I live among unclean people, and my eyes have seen the King. An awareness of all of our failures and all of our sins and all of our shortcomings. Let me tell you what, when we are truly in the presence of God, when we are truly in the presence of God, we don't get a higher view of ourselves, we get a lower view of ourselves. I will promise you, if you ever serving God and you are arrogant, you are not thinking about God. Humility is what invades the heart of a man 
who has encountered a holy and pure and a righteous God. Man, as I think about this, when he says, Woe to me, for I am ruined. If you look at Job, uh, we'll put it up here. You don't have to turn there. Job 42, verse 6. Remember the story of Job? Job, it says, was righteous. He had a great family. He was successful in business. He was intelligent. He did everything. He worshiped God. He did everything. And then God allowed Satan to take it all from him. Remember the story? And then Job's buddies. How many of you have buddies like this? His sorry buddies showed up. And, uh, yeah, you're just looking around. I noticed some of you cut your eyes at the other dude next to you at the table. Yep, they're, they're Job's friends, too, right? And they show up, and they go, they, they're honest. They say, hey, hey Job, uh, man, you've never told us about it, but what, what was the sin in your life? You know, your, your buddies, and they were like, he was like, why would you say there's sin in my life? Well, because this doesn't happen to people who do good. They say, you must have done something to offend God. And Job, remember his contention? In chapter 3, in chapter 4, in chapter 5, in chapter 6, and all the way through chapter 41. Job looks at his friends and says, guys, I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything. I haven't done anything. And if you read the story, compared to his buddies... He hadn't done anything. But when you come to Job chapter 42, verse 6, there's kind of a change in Job's heart. That Job understands, man, my job is not to look good compared to the other dudes in the room. My job is to acknowledge that compared to the God of the universe, I don't look that good. How many of us understand that? Man, it is easy, especially when you look at a group like this, right? It's not hard to be the top of the heap among you dudes, I want you to know. Y'all have made it exceedingly easy for your pastor to seem holy. Y'all have. Why do you think I haven't left this place? I'm afraid some other church has some guys that are holy. I don't want to have to measure up to that. See, if I look around this room, if you look around this room, it ain't that hard. But Job looks at his friends and said, listen, you knucklehead, I haven't done anything. I'm better than you, and I'm better than you, and I'm better than you. And Job 42 verse 6 says, Job finally acknowledges, yeah, I was righteous compared to the other dudes, but compared to the God of the universe... I'm like Isaiah, woe to me. And notice what Job says, Therefore I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. See, Job had been pretty righteous all the way through this story, but he realized at the end of the day, God compared to you, the God who created the universe, a God who is holy, holy, holy. The only proper response is repentance in dust and ashes. Remember Peter in the New Testament. Look at Luke chapter 5, verse 8. Peter was always proud and arrogant. What did Peter always do? He always compared himself to, with the other disciples, didn't he? Remember, remember at, the, uh, at the end of uh, Jesus' days, Jesus looked at the disciples and said, Listen, all of you will deny me. Remember Peter's exact response? Lord, even if all of these, who are the these he, were ta he was talking about? The other disciples. Yeah, the other 11. He says, even if all these dudes leave you, I won't. God looked at him and said, cock-a-doodle-doo. 
<laughs> and so I love this idea in Luke chapter 5, verse 8. It says, pride, man. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Guys, when we truly come face to face with a holy and righteous God, we won't come away with the idea that I am an awesome dude. We will come away with the idea that God is an awesome God because He is willing to use a dude like me. Now, lest you think that I am telling you in this message today that you can't be used by God, I am telling you the exact opposite. If you and I come to God in humility and repentance, anybody can be used by God. The worst of you, the worst of the worst of you, the one we look down on the most, the, let me tell you what, the God of the universe is so gracious and loving that the worst dude that you know can be used by God for his kingdom if he's willing to come like Isaiah and simply say, Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among unclean people. And I love this idea. If you want to take a little note, you just might want to write this down. Genuine humility always prepares us to be used greatly by God. I'm going to say that again. Genuine humility always prepares us to be used greatly by God. Guys, as long as we stay prideful and arrogant... As long as we look down on others because of their sin and their unrighteousness, we can never be used as mightily by God as God wants to use us. I'll just tell you that some of the most ineffective men I've ever seen in church spent all of their time in church talking about somebody else's sin talking about the world out there and the people out there and talking about what people do and what they say. One of the most, let me just tell you, the number of times I've seen a guy not be used by God because he thought he was better than everybody else, I can count, I can't even begin to count. But I'll tell you, when we come to a place in the space that Isaiah came to, Woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among unclean people. And there's a humility. Humility prepares us to be used by God. When we come to a place like Job, where Job compared to his friends was pretty awesome. But he says, now that I've seen God and His glory and His holiness, I repent in dust and ashes. When we come to a place like Peter, where we say, Jesus, you don't, don't even come close to me because I'm a sinful person, that's when God begins to use men the most. See, guys, some of the wisest words you and I will ever say will, will be these, Lord, here I am, send me. Not because I'm righteous, but because you're gracious. I'm going to say that again. Some of the wisest words you and I will ever say to God will be, Lord, God, here I am, send me, not because I'm righteous, 
but because you're gracious. Now let's go back and begin to read. Look at it in verse 6. It says, Then one of the seraphim, remember he's, been, he's acknowledged, Isaiah is acknowledging his own sinfulness. Woe to me. Now look at verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, back to the altar. Uzziah, remember burning incense? Shouldn't have been there. All of a sudden, the seraphim goes and, and takes a live coal from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. And what an incredible thought. You know what that says is that God was acknowledging, Isaiah, you're right. You're unclean. Isaiah, you're absolutely right. You're sinful. Now, now, now notice, God didn't break into psychology mode here and say, Yeah, Isaiah, I'm okay. You're okay. You know, Isaiah, don't be too hard on yourself. You know, Isaiah, that's really not that big of a sin. No, that's not what God said. God pretty much looked at him and said, now you finally come to grips with your own sinfulness. And so in such, what did he do? God said, let me take care of it. And so I love this idea that Isaiah could not remove his own guilt. Don't ever forget that. Isaiah could not remove his own guilt. God sent the seraphim to take care of it. Guys, you and I cannot pay for one of our sins that's a thought god had to say seraphim go take care of that he's right he's finally come to grips with his own sinfulness go take care of it here's another idea um, forgiveness is available only at the altar guys i want you to know forgiveness is available only at the altar it's not available at the in some self-help book it's not available in some mantra you can, you, you can chant. It's not, it's not available in some mental cleansing process you and I can go through. Forgiveness is only available at the altar. In Isaiah's day, in the Old Testament, that was in the temple. It was in the Holy of Holies. In the New Testament, the altar is what? It's the cross. So for you and I, for us to truly be forgiven, in the Old Testament, they went to the altar. In the New Testament, we go to the cross. That when we are ultimately aware of our own sinfulness, there is a place for us to go. And for you and me, it is back to the cross. That is where forgiveness happens. And it's not because of who I am. It's because of how gracious God is. Here's another thought. Forgiveness is also specific. Notice when Isaiah has this idea, God didn't say, Good, Isaiah, you've acknowledged your sins, now everybody's forgiven. No, what does the seraphim say? What does God say? Your sins are forgiven. They're specific. 
That means each one of us individually has to come to a place where we go to the altar. Old Testament altar, burn incense. New Testament, the place of the cross. We all have to go there individually, guys. I can't go there for you and you can't go there for me. You can't go there for your son and your son can't go from you. Your best buddy you have at church or outside of church, he cannot forgive one of your sins. It is specific. It's specific to the man who says, I am unclean so the question for you guys have you come to the place where before a holy and righteous god you've dropped your arrogance you've dropped your pride and you've asked for forgiveness at the cross see because it's at the cross where all of us find ultimate forgiveness but it comes after we are aware of our sin after we are humble and we go to the altar and specifically ask for it. Now look back to verse 8. We've gone through that whole process for then us to say this in verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then and only then was Isaiah ready to say, Here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. Now, now let me just go back. Isaiah wasn't perfect. When he looked at God, he said, Woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips. I have failed completely in everything that I've done. But because of the altar and the grace of God, I can come and specifically receive forgiveness. That allows him to ultimately serve God. Now notice what he says, here I am, send me. Man, once God is, we have, we have come to God with all of our sins and asked forgiveness, then God asks us who will go for me. Guys, it's available to all of us. The question is, have you said yes to God? I want to invite all of us to bow our heads, whether we're in this room or on Zoom. And guys, let me just ask you a question. Are you ready to be used by God? Are you ready? All it takes to be ready is to come to God and acknowledge your sin and ask for His forgiveness. But perhaps the bigger question is not are you ready, it's are you willing? Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, send me. Shall I believe men... I believe the major problem in most men's lives in church, outside of church, is that we've come to the place where we know we need forgiveness. We've come to the place where we ask for forgiveness. But after we've been forgiven, we have not yet come to the place where we are, being, we are willing to be used by God. Too many men in the church, and perhaps too many men in this room, and too many on Zoom, are willing to say, Lord, here I am, send someone else. 
guys at Cottonwood Creek? We need every man to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. God, thank you for every man in this room, the ones that are listening online. God, we acknowledge our sinfulness and our brokenness, and we are grateful that you provide forgiveness of sins at the altar. God, now that we are forgiven, not because we are so awesome, but because you are so gracious, we willingly say, here we are. Send us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Guys, some of the wisest words you'll ever say. Lord, here I am. Send me. You all have a great day.